0: We'll be right back after this. I've actually been using today's sponsor for over three years and love them. And that company is Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear me say Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you might think, what's the catch? But the cool part is that there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They don't have retail stores or salespeople, which cost a lot of money. Instead they deliver premium phone plans directly to you. Say goodbye to your multi-hundred dollar phone bill per month and start using Mint Mobile where plans start as low as 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new 3-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com/fishow. That's mintmobile.com/fishow. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/fishow. upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month new customers on first three month plan only speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan additional taxes fees and restrictions apply see mint mobile for details now back to the show and you can just keep stockpiling and building and building whether it's businesses real estate blogs whatever youtube videos like i was saying before you don't have to wait until you have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in an investment account
1: Welcome to the FI Show, where you get a behind the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin.
0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the FI Show. This is going to be another roundup episode where Justin and I are going to talk about some of the themes that we've had from the past couple of guests. So we had Bill on, we had Diana on, we had Jessica on, kind of all different facets of, you know, financial independence, keeping your life flexible keeping the gap between your income and your expenses wide. So Justin and I are going to explore all those topics and more. But first things first, Justin, what is going on in your life?
1: Man, this last week was crazy. It's another one of these uh, weekends that I was not in Austin yet again. We actually looked at June and July, and I think we'll spend two weeks in our apartment between the two months. So (laughs) even though our rent's cheap, I'm not really sure why we do it. But yeah, so last week was crazy. We, We flew into Salt Lake City, got a rental car, which was actually this giant cargo van you know the ones big enough you can stand up in the ones like a lot of people turn into camper vans and luckily any van is a camper van if you bring a sleeping pad and a tent and some pillows so we uh, took that up to Jackson Wyoming like around Jackson Hole it's a really cool downtown we uh, checked it out and then just parked on the street and slept there the first night made some nice blackout curtains with black trash bags it's real fancy Then we got up the next morning and uh, went and checked out the Grand Tetons, which is gorgeous if you ever get a chance to go, especially for maybe some reason, you're coming down to the Yellowstone from the north and you don't think you wanna keep going south to the Tetons, like do it, it's worth it. And then from there, we went on up to Yellowstone. And then the next two nights there, we actually did backcountry camping. It's $3 a person, it's a crazy good deal. And if you're trying to travel to Yellowstone, like we were, you may notice that there are no campsites available, there's no hotels available, everything's booked up. But backcountry camping, no problem. And actually, some of our spots were only like a half mile that was flat to get into. So people just see backcountry camping, and they think it's you know they're gonna have to hike over four mountains to get to the campsite. It's not true, <laughs> it's three dollars a person, so it's just crazy cheap. So that's what we did for two nights. And then we got up and went back to Jackson, Wyoming after checking out Yellowstone fully, did another night in Yellowstone, kind of treated ourselves. went to a brewery, went to a nice restaurant. And then back to the street, we went in the camper van, got up the next morning, hit Salt Lake City, parked out in front of a friend's house there in the van again. And then Thursday, uh, my buddies flew in, met us, got a rental car. The next couple nights was actually in a hotel and we had a, concert festival thing, a country concert festival down in southern Idaho. So did that for a couple days and just got back Monday morning at like 2 a.m. And uh, we're here for the we're here for the whole week until we leave Sunday for LA for 10 days. So that was that was my whirlwind of a week. How about you, Cody?
0: Well I gotta say, wow Justin, you're gonna be home for an entire week. <laughs>
1: Tuesday through Saturday.
0: A <laughs> <laughs> little less eventful, but I'm totally jealous of the stuff you're doing. Something that I didn't do this past week, but Lauren and I just booked is we're going to be in Greece for pretty much all of October. We're doing like the 3rd to the 27th, just kind of getting out there, exploring. We're actually probably going to try to meet up with James and Emily, get a little tour going of Cyprus because unfortunately that got canceled when COVID happened in March of 2020. This week was pretty fun though. We had awesome weather, which is great. We got some pretty good deals on our Red Sox game. It was a Red Sox-Yankees game. So, you know, there's a lot of hostility in the crowd, but it's a ton of fun went with my buddy Tim. We had a little Sunday fun day, which I'm notorious for at the lake during the summer months. So I had a little Sunday fun day with like the 85 degree weather. And actually tonight, Lauren and I are going out to this restaurant. I'm not sure. Maybe you've heard of it, Justin, in Boston. It's called, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. It's called Fogo de Chao. It's a Brazilian place. And it's like all you can eat. And so you pick, you go up, you pick your sides. It's like a buffet. And they have like 30 different cuts of meat. So they'll come over with like a filet. They're like, you want some filet? Yes, of course. Do you want some bacon-wrapped sirloin? Yes, of course. And that just happens all night until you can't even walk because you're so full. So that's what's been on the agenda. That's what's happened this past weekend. But Justin, I think that's enough about our travels. Let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote-unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called Personal Capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month.
1: Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401Ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards. They're all linked there. The other thing I really like about Personal Capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at the slash PC. That's the slash PC.
0: So Justin, I mentioned this briefly at the beginning, but you know, just having money, whether it's an emergency fund, whether it's just getting out of debt or having, you know, somewhere close to financial independence or all the different spectrums of fire that we had Jessica talk about, like the breeze to fire, the lean fire, all that different stuff. You know how has having money? I guess I don't know. We could talk about different points in your journey. How has just having that money aside, like you know, helped you whether it's negotiating a career or taking a long vacation? I'm I'm curious to hear how it's kind of directly affected your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely those stages, which is kind of what Jessica was getting at around different points. You get to, you should feel different amounts of freedom, and you should be a little more comfortable with riskier things and treating yourself more, or you know, whatever it might be. And so. I think, you know, once I remember getting what to me was like my first good job, which is when I got into the Air Force, I was bringing home about 40000 after taxes, got a car, got an emergency fund. And then like things started like opening up in my mind. I'm thinking like, okay, now there's some things I can actually do. Because before that, it was always just like, let's pay for college. Let's pay for what's in front of us. Like there was no thought about anything outside of really like necessities. And so like that was kind of the first step. And then as I got a little further down the road and as I get out of the Air Force, you know, I'm sitting at a point where I'm on the job hunt, but I'm not like freaking out about it. like, okay, I got to have a job tomorrow. I'm I'm picking which job is going to be the best for me because it's not worth it to me to just miss out on a, a week or two worth of salary to not get the perfect job or at least the best job that I can.
0: Wait, and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you have an offer sitting on the table and you waited like a couple weeks and the second offer was literally almost double what that first offer was? Like if you just took that first offer, say you were living paycheck to paycheck and you had to, like you would never even have gotten the second offer and would have been making so much more money, which is just like so crazy that that little bit of space allows you to make that much more money and push you that much further on the five journey.
1: Yeah. And it also, I mean, like you, you get like that first offer and then you sit on it a little bit. In my case, I happened to get a second offer and I just got the wheels. I was like, well, maybe there's more out there. And so I tried to drag my feet as much as I could and give myself as much time until I could really see the full landscape what was out there. And yeah, it ended up being almost double, which was a great difference <laughs> between, <laughs> between salaries. And, and I don't think it was just like, oh, well the other one, you started lower, but you would have worked your way up quickly. Like, I don't think so. Like, I don't, I don't think I would have ever even gotten close no matter how long I worked there.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been a bit different for me. And I know I've talked about this before, but like even quitting that first job, and I know we catch so much hate, Justin, because some people can't believe how low our monthly expenses are when they're at like the peak or the trough or whatever, the peak lowness, (laughs) or I guess the trough of spending. But you know, when I quit that first corporate banking job, I had like, probably close to $50,000 saved up, but I was spending like a 1000 bucks a month. And so some people are like, you know, richer people, people who are wealthy, people who have a lot of money are like $50,000. That's crazy for you to jump ship and leave that job. But to me, I'm like, dude, like this is 50 months of freedom. Like that's insane. That's like four years if I keep these expenses the same month over month. So, like, that's another super important thing. And obviously, we're probably going to chat about it a bit today. It's just like keeping that gap as wide as possible because it lends just so many more options. You know, it does give you that gap if you want to take a month or two months or a year off in between careers, or you can go take that sabbatical because you have the leverage. You know, you have that money where you're fine if you don't collect that paycheck. Like, you know, if the boss has all the leverage, if your boss has all the power over you, you were waiting week after week on their paycheck for you to live, then, you know, all the cards are in their hands. So I think that's another really important thing. And, you know, my direct example was saving up that initial little chunk where I could just say, you know what? I don't need to do this anymore. If you want to let me go, let me go, but I'm going to go try this Entrepreneurship thing and see how it works out. And it's been a pretty crazy, awesome journey since.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing you said there, we we're talking about like making sure your boss doesn't hold all the leverage or all the cards. I mean, even recently, like that really worked out in my favor because I'm not scared to say what I want to say to my company because I'm not like terrified that they're going to fire me. A, I think I do a really good job. I don't think they would. But B, like, I, you know, I just don't have to be scared. I know if it takes me a few weeks or a month to get another job, not a big deal. And I started realizing that I was being paid less than some of my coworkers, even though like my numbers, you know, it's, we are part of the sales organization. were fantastic where, you know, I was carrying more quota than most of the other people. And so I wasn't shy about saying, you know, I really want to fix this. Like, I don't, I think that I should be making at least as much as everyone else. And it eventually led to that. It eventually led to me having an opportunity to to move teams and, and get that salary up to where I thought it should be. Now, if I was like, you know, maybe I was carrying a lot of debt and I was really nervous about it. I don't know that I would ever had the guts to just speak up and say anything. I probably would have been afraid to rock the boat.
0: Yeah, I think that's really true about kind of speaking your mind. I've heard, I think, honestly, you have been one of the people who have said it, but you are a better employee sometimes, like when you have the money and you don't have to just do everything the boss says. You're like, hey, listen, I think this is not a good idea for X, Y, and Z, or hey, I think we should start implementing this because I've seen this with the customers or I've seen this with the clients, whatever role you might be in. But even with like, I've been working on the millennial money site, I've mentioned this before as a contractor with Motley Fool. And like, I can work and kind of do the things I think are best. And I can voice my real opinions without fear. Like, I know that people are going to respect my opinions. I know that, you know, in the worst case scenario where they're like, you know, Cody, we don't need you anymore. That's fine. You know, I love the people on that team. And I don't know if any of them listen, but you guys are awesome. But you know, I could step away and be completely fine. Which is just such a freeing feeling whereas if I was living paycheck to paycheck I just I would not be able to I mean maybe maybe there are some people who are living paycheck to paycheck I'm sure there are people who are living paycheck to paycheck who voice their opinion with no fear but those people are a bit crazy I do like having the cushion where I would be fine in the scenario where you know the income isn't coming in for a few months
1: and you know what I think another thing that's kind of interesting as far as Just trying to think about it from a journey perspective and thinking about getting to a point to where you could actually just live off 4% of your income. Because that's, for most people, it's a large sum of money that you have to get to. When you're first starting out, it can feel like you're just never going to get there. Even if you do have low expenses, it's like to feel like you can actually get to a point to where you never have to work again. But I know Doug Nordman will always say humans are just terrible at visualizing compounding interest and like really understanding what that hockey stick-like curve looks like. Like I'm finally getting to a point in my journey where that, that growth is happening so much faster. And, you know, even just two years ago, I knew it would be early, like by all standards early, but it still just felt like it was a pretty far ways out there. And I still felt like I've got to figure out some way to make myself happy enough to stick in this for, you know, whatever it is, 10 more years. And as that compounding has really started to take effect. Now that finish line continues just to come closer and closer and it seems more real it's kind of like a re-motivating feeling. Like I feel like you're really motivated in the beginning. You get really motivated at the end. But it's easy to get lost somewhere in the middle. But you just got to hang in there, keep an eye on things, and realize that that compounding interest thing is real.
0: We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Now back to the show. Yeah. And I know Jessica had mentioned this and obviously Bill has proved this with his spreadsheets. But you know, even someone let's use you as a case example. I mean, you recently hit financial independence at your current spending level. Even let's we'll just call it a clean number for easy math, like 500k at 30. I love using the rule of 72 when I'm telling people about investing because it's just it's insane. Like it seriously doesn't seem real. But you know, you're 30 years old, 500k, using the rule of 72, assuming a call it a 7% return, your money's doubling every 10 years. At 40, you're looking at a million. At 50, you're looking at 2 million. At 60, you're looking at 4 million. And this is just you living paycheck to paycheck. This is you legit, you know, maybe you are driving that four-wheeler through the woods, Justin, like you said your dream job was. (laughs) Just, you know, I don't know how you'd make money doing that, maybe a four-wheeler tour. I'm not sure, through some really cool (laughs) forest and you're just covering the base expenses. But, you know, when I look at the spreadsheets and the compound interest calculators, those numbers are just mind-boggling to me. And it's crazy how people don't get this information sooner. Most 25-year-olds, most people my age, they're not... Getting this information. But if you said, hey, you know, save 100K by the time you're 30, you know, over the next five years, a lot of people are making money during those years, you know, mid to late 20s. Like usually people are out of college at that point. They're in some kind of steady career. You're going to have millions of dollars by the time you retire. If you just get those couple of years right in your 20s or maybe early 30s. And yeah, man, I don't know. That just that that stuff's just crazy to me. So definitely understand where Doug Norman's coming from, because even I sometimes have trouble conceptualizing the amount of money that I'll have from just sitting on it and letting it sit in an investment account.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I know that, you know, obviously this whole podcast isn't about compounding interest and neither one of us have kids, but I was actually thinking the other day, you know, about some people I know who spend like tons of money on their kids going to private like elementary schools. And I was like, listening to some podcasts about that and things. And, you know, I think if we could create a culture to where, you know, when you're thinking about investing for your kid's future, like obviously you want the best for them, but a lot of times it's because you want them to be financially stable. Like you want them to be in a good elementary school. So they get into the good college. So they get a good job. Imagine if you took those, I mean, a lot of these things are 15,000, 20,000 to go to first grade. Imagine if you took that money at that age, when a kid's six years old and put that in an investment vehicle, they could start doubling. And you start thinking about that rule of 72. By the time they got out of college, they would already be retired. Like they wouldn't even need the job they went to college for. <laughs> if you did that versus spending just so much money on private schools and expensive colleges and things like that, if you invested in them in a different way, in a more direct way, I personally think that would be my angle. If, if I had children, I know it's like, oh, it's easy for you to say, Justin, you are having have any kids. But I just think it's an interesting idea if we started seeing that happen more often.
0: So, Justin, while you were talking, you got me thinking and I'm just like, okay, what does it look like if someone, you know, in that scenario, they're paying, call it $10,000 a year for some kind of private school. And I just made it from zero to 18 to make it clean math. You know, maybe they're not going to a private school when they're one year old, but we're just going to do that to make it easier because I just literally did this on the fly. Okay, so if you contribute $10,000 a year for 18 years at a 7% return, just just compound it annually and then you give it to your kid. It's 340000 That's at 18? This is at 18. You tell this kid, you're like, hey, if you keep this money invested and just wait till you're 65, guess how much it's going to be? I was blown away because I also did this while you were talking. When they're 65 years old, they will have $8.175 million. You know, when people hear like, oh, you know, that's a trust fund, baby. You don't have to be Warren Buffett to make your kid <laughs> crazy rich by the time they retired. It's just $1,000 a year, or $10,000 a year, I should say. For the first 18 years of their life. And that might seem like a lot. Obviously, you can scale these numbers down or up depending on your specific financial situation. But just showing the power of that compound interest and how important it is to get the money in there as early as possible. I just thought that was a I mean, that's an insane number. Imagine an 18 year old who, you know, maybe you just don't tell them about the account and then they all automatically unlock it when they're 65. Obviously, there might be some moral issues there. But man, that just That math gets me all. Well,
1: the other thing is, if they, if they at least, if they get any kind of job and are reasonably frugal, I want to be willing to bet that by at least thirty-five, they're retired. You're not even thinking about sixty-five.
0: I did want to talk a bit about, and this is something that I've advocated, and this is cash flow fi. So, you know, this doesn't have to be the full fi experience. Like you can still pull from a nest egg, use the four percent rule that Bill has so graciously done hundreds or thousands, no, definitely thousands of hours of research on. But cash flow five is kind of the way that I started moving toward. Like I was like, I don't really want to save up this big nest egg. And as many of you know, as I just talked about, I quit corporate America pretty early. But, you know, cash flow five. there's so many different ways to do it, like buying real estate. So you have this monthly repeating income from your renters or even owning something like a course or a website or a podcast or something that just kind of or a YouTube video, something that lives indefinitely that spits out some kind of monthly return. And, you know, that return may dwindle over time and you might have to, you know, add different things to that cash flow fi. I've actually heard Zach from Four Pillar Freedom talk about this. He's like, you know, if you start a blog and each blog post is making, you know, $50 a month from whether it's affiliate revenue or ad revenue or sponsorships or whatever, obviously this is just one example, not everyone are bloggers, but, you know, it's not much, $50 a month, whatever, you could make that doing anything, you know, Grubhub, DoorDash, other active income ventures, but you have a hundred posts on that site that are making, you know, $50 a month. Now you're looking at $5,000 a month in passive income, which is pretty crazy. And like, that's just one vehicle to kind of reach this like cash flow fi, something where you're not actually trading your time for money. So that's something that's really intrigued me. That's definitely a rabbit hole that I've gone really deep down trying all sorts of different side hustles that are going to make me money basically while I'm sleeping that might need some maintenance. So maybe it's call it semi-passive income because I'm sure there's going to be the people that are like, you know, real estate's not completely passive, but You know, if it's four hours a month, like I think Dustin Heiner had mentioned for his properties, that's pretty passive. I think we can put that in the (laughs) passive bucket, even if it is taking him a little bit of time. So I don't know, that's just another really interesting thing to me. And you can couple this with the traditional nest egg, 4% rule retirement, but that can just, you know, hyper accelerate things. Like if you have three or $4,000 coming in and you're in your mid to late 20s and you can just keep stockpiling and building and building, whether it's businesses, real estate, blogs, whatever, YouTube videos, like I was saying before, you don't have to wait until you have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in an investment account. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what your thoughts are. It's just, it's it's exciting stuff to me.
1: Yeah, I man, I know like with my situation, I don't have a ton of the, you know, those kind of cash flow things, but I do respect the fact, A, that, you know, that's a great way to go and that you can do both at the same time. Jessica talked about how someone who, you know, want to just walk dogs and things like that, and they realized that they could make enough money on that to couple with their nest egg to be financially independent. You know, imagine you spend... $40,000 a year, you don't necessarily have to have a million dollars in an investment account with that 4% rule. You could have 500,000 and then find some more side work that makes 20,000 a year. You can couple them together and you can kind of wean yourself out. You know, you can kind of keep building up that nest egg as you're doing little things. And then eventually you don't even have to do the little things. Or if you can find some of those resources that literally don't take any active income, that's huge as well. I know just as like a part of caution, a lot of things we've heard from a lot of people who, especially who create content is just like, don't put all your eggs in one basket and make sure you own whatever it is and make sure you're not a hundred percent reliant on someone else or some other system. Cause let's say Google changes their algorithm, YouTube changes their algorithm, whether it might be, you don't want to be just like out of that instantly. And you just want to be aware of that, but it is definitely a great tool. And it's something where as you start feeling more comfortable pulling back on the hours you work in a traditional job that frees up some time for you to get out there and get creative like you may not know right now what in the world would I even do to get some of this kind of passive income but when you have a little more free time on your hands I want to say you'll find something almost no one will actually retire and just never make a penny you're going to it's going to happen you're going to make some money somewhere
0: Yeah, especially with that stuff where you're just trying your hand at something new, like you just mentioned, Justin. I mean, most people, myself included, I had no clue what I was gonna do when I first kind of just like jumped into entrepreneurship. I was like, I'm gonna start a blog, and you know, I kind of know what affiliate revenue is. I have no idea. I kind of know what ads are. I don't really have any idea, but I'm just gonna jump in and do it. And I think that's important too is the skill building. Like as you start to try your hand at all these new things, it doesn't matter if you spent a hundred hours trying to learn coding or trying to build websites and maybe you didn't make any money and you're trying to build this like passive income vehicle. Now you have this whole new skill set that you can monetize in the event. And then, you know, it's another buffer. It's not a financial buffer, like we've been talking about this whole episode, but it's another hedge against losing your job. It's another hedge. Like, you know, if you do get laid off and you can't find work for another six months, Now you have this new skill set that you can figure out a way to monetize. So that's another reason why I'm, you know, I'm a huge advocate for that, trying to just, you know, figure out cool ways to make money, whether it is passive or active income. Like Justin talked about, you can have that like filler, that barista fire thing, where you're just walking dogs or you're a barista at Starbucks or you're riding four wheelers through the woods. (laughs) Whatever that thing might be for you. So the last thing, Cody, I was curious about is,
1: you know, we've kind of been mentioning this as a little bit of a journey as you get closer and closer to this, whether it be the 4% rule or a mixture of the 4% rule and this cash flow five, but as you get closer to that destination where you are actually fully financially independent, kind of curious with you, you know, as you get closer, do you start to spend more money on yourself? Do you start to take your foot off the gas a little bit on how extreme you're saving? Is there things in mind where you're like, Hey, when I get to this point, this is something else I'm going to take on that, that I've been, you know, not depriving yourself of, but something that you maybe haven't quite leaned into because you didn't feel like it was a necessity. And you just feel like, you know what? I'm going to wait till I get to this point before I let myself have that.
0: Probably primary residence is the biggest one right now. So as longtime listeners know, like at the Lake House, which is like a literally a two bed, one bath, small cottage, it's like 900 square feet. It is sweltering hot in here. Like just the bedrooms have AC, if I wanted to spend a lot of money and like have the nice things for myself, I'd probably spend money, you know, blowing in insulation, getting this thing, you know, souped up and even the other place, like we still kind of live in our rental property. It's like a one bed, one bath. We rent out the other portion of it, but I don't want to do that forever. I mean, honestly, I do, I do kind of want a nicer house as I'm, as I'm older. And as, you know, as I hit financial independence and beyond, that's probably the biggest thing that comes to mind. I definitely still prioritize health and fitness. I have been trying and striving toward what Jessica said, like Once you hit that number, she said, you don't want your life to change at all. Like that's, that's kind of the ultimate goal. If you're charging toward five, charging toward five, charging toward five, you hit five, nothing in your life changes, even though you have the option to change everything, you know, you've kind of built the perfect life for yourself. So yeah, the biggest thing for me is probably like primary residence and the niceness of my personal things in house. How about you, Justin?
1: (laughs) Well, I think the most recent thing or like probably one of the biggest things is actually a vehicle. Like I I just, I don't know. I love cars and this is not like the most sexy car by any means, but (laughs) I've had this Ford Fusion hybrid for gosh, eight years now and used cars are kind of at an all-time high for resale. Ford just came out with this new little truck called the Ford Maverick. It's a four-door truck that gets 40 miles per gallon in the city. It's supposed to average around 37 total. It's a, it's a hybrid as well. And they're only... Like they start out at like 20,000 and I went and looked at building one from scratch. Like they don't even exist yet, but like you can go and customize one for an order and putting every little bell and whistle that I wanted to on it, it came out to 26,000. And I'm thinking, you know, my car now is worth as much or more than it'll ever be worth um, going forward. And so, you know, maybe I get 9,000 out of it. So maybe I'm looking at 17,000 total. And the interest rates are crazy. Like you can get three years at 0%, four years at 0.9, like that kind of thing. So the money would make more money in an investment account than it would be paying them. So I'd probably just pay payments, be a couple hundred bucks a month. It's definitely not a, the most financially savvy move, but I'm at this point now where I don't have to make every financially savvy, you know, move. I can make those big ones. I can keep my rent low. You know, my groceries are low, can look for unique ways to travel but if this is something I really want, I'm in a place now in life where I can say yes to things like that. And so I'm kind of excited about those things as they keep opening up. Not that I'm a very materialistic person, but you know, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of room for me to add on some things.
0: Heck yeah, man. Love it. You got to spend the money on the stuff that you like. Well, once you're in the position to do so, <laughs> not when you're yeah. you know straight yeah. out of college and you go and blow your money on some $80,000 car. <laughs> no. So the one word that comes to mind from our episode today, Justin, is flexibility. We talked so much about all the options that Fi, or at least striving towards Fi, has afforded us. So that is what the episode is going to be called. So if you are curious and want to read some of the show notes, get a quick little summary of what we talked about today, you can do all of that at the slash flexibility. That's thefishow.com slash flexibility. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page,
1: you can do so at the slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefishow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.